Please, let's bow our heads in prayer. Grant, Lord, that I might not speak with plausible words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of your spirit and of your power, that our faith might not rest on the wisdom of man, but on the power of God. And I pray, Lord, that we might offer you the worship that is acceptable to you, as we ought. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. If you remember nothing else from the sermon today, remember Psalm 96, verse 9. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Let all the earth stand in awe before him. Another translation is, oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Let the whole earth tremble before him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Beloved, we are called to worship the Lord. It is our privilege. It is our honor. It is our gracious duty. It is what we were meant for. To worship God. And it has been ever thus with the people of God. Remember how when the people of Israel cried out, to God for mercy, to rescue them from bondage in Egypt. The Lord raised up Moses and sent him to the people. And in, and in uh, Exodus 3, 18, God says, and you will go with the elders to Pharaoh. And in that place, he says, and beg him to let you go that you might offer sacrifice or plead with him. Another translation. That, but then, when it finally comes to the crunch, God sends Moses to the Pharaoh and says, tell Pharaoh this. Thus says the Lord, let my people go. Why? That they may worship me. Now, another translation is that they may serve me, but we've already been told it's that they may go and offer sacrifice, and they make it very clear. And by the way, beloved, to worship God is to serve him. To serve God is to worship him. When we offer our daily work up to God to glorify him, we're worshiping him. And then when we gather here today, when we offer up our praise and our prayers, and etc., we're, we're worshiping him. Frederick Buechner says there, we're called to worship God, and to worship God means to serve him. He said, and there's things that he wants us to do Feed the hungry, clothe the naked, visit the prisoner, seek righteousness. And then he says there are things we need to do for him. Write songs for him, write poetry for him, give up things for him, praise him. He goes, and in other words, he said, make fools of ourselves for him the way lovers have always made themselves fools for the ones they love. We do that. We kind of have to. When the Lord calls us to worship him as we do today, it's not because he needs it so much as that we need it. Have you ever noticed that the praise of something you really enjoy is completed if you get to share it with someone else? 
that's a beautiful view. It's really great if I can say, look at those waves. Look at those mountains. Look at those. And it's, by the way, it's thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyable when you offer it to the one who made it. I remember walking down Tuckerman's Ravine on Mount Washington on a beautiful late afternoon. The sun on the bowl was just fabulous. the, The weather was perfect. The scenery was glorious. And I was just, God got a lot of compliments. And that was part of my joy in it. That was my blessing. God commands us, whenever he commands us something, beloved, it's either to bless us or to protect us. God is not a cosmic killjoy. And he's not an egocentric so-and-so saying, pay attention to me. No, worship the Lord. Let my people go that they may worship me. And he wouldn't. Plague after plague. He didn't take the warning until finally the Passover. When the people of God, when the people of God were saved from death and from bondage by the blood of a lamb without blemish. Exodus bells are going off for you, aren't they? A lamb without blemish that they might go and worship him. And at a later Passover, you and I were freed from slavery to sin and death. At another Passover, by the lamb without blemish, who gives his life for the life of the world. And we are in our turn set free that we might worship him. That we might dare to draw near. Why, even Gentiles are included. That you might worship me. The New Testament makes no bones about it. Jesus speaks of those who worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such the Father speaks to, seeks to worship him. Hebrews 12 says, thus let us offer worship acceptable to God. You and I are called to worship in spirit and in truth. Decently, says 1 Corinthians 14, and in order. We are called to worship in the beauty of holiness. That call from Psalm 96 is every bit as applicable to us as it was to them. The Psalter is the hymn book of the church. And it's that, and and by the way, the context of that Psalter helps us understand how applicable the Psalm is to us. The Psalm 96. First Corinthians six, uh, First Chronicles 16, 23 to 33 is Psalm 96. And we know from there that the context, the setting for the Psalm was David's bringing the ark back to Jerusalem to put it in the tabernacle that he'd had built. In other words, please pay attention. The context for Psalm 96 is the enthronement of the king on the praises of his people. 
Matter of fact, Psalm 22, verse 3, you know, the one that begins, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It goes on to say in verse 3, yet you, are, you, O God, are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. This is his enthronement. And that enthronement is a picture, a foreshadowing, a looking forward to the greater enthronement, which our Lord Jesus accomplished when he died and rose again and ascended on high. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, says the Lord. Now, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and lo, I am with you to the end of the age. Go. All authority has been given to me. St. Peter says on the day of Pentecost, God has made him both Lord and Christ, the anointed king, has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He is the king enthroned on high. He is the lamb that was slain. He's the high priest who offered the great sacrifice. And he is the king, the Lord, the prince who sits at the right hand of glory and rules all things. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And so we worship him in the beauty of holiness. Beloved, nothing I do this week, nothing you do this week, will be more important, will be more splendid, will be more essential, will be more supernatural than what we do right now. I was raised in a school of thought where Sunday is preparation for the real work of the week, where we go out there and serve him. It's too simple. And the rest of the week, while we're out there serving him, is preparation for Sunday. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. That's not a suggestion. That's a command. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The word for worship here in, in Hebrew is shaha, shaha, that's it. Um, which means to bend the knee, to bow down, to prostrate, prostrate. <laughs> All right, I'm old, okay? <laughs> to prostrate oneself before a king or before God. Um, our Orthodox friends, this is gonna be embarrassing, I'll try and do it with my vestments on. Our Orthodox friends, at one point in the service, everybody in the church, down like that for prayer, prostrating themselves before the king. Gosh, that looks like what the Muslims do. Well. Orthodox Christianity in the East is 500 years older than Islam. Guess where they got it? 
prostrate ourselves. We bow. We do obeisance. We, we, we humble ourselves. And the Greek of the Septuagint is the same, same idea, proskuneo. There are other words for worship in Greek, but here it's proskuneo, to bend the knee. Now, this means at least three things for us in our worship. One, we're humbling ourselves. When we come before God, it is not, hey, bud. It's God. Beloved, I, I, I prayed so much about this. If there's nothing else I convey to you, we are meeting with God today. He is here with us. Wherever two or three, we have it on the highest authority, that wherever two or three are gathered in his name, there he is in the midst. God is with us. God the Father sends the Son in the power of the Spirit, and in the power of the Spirit, through the Son, we offer glory back to God the Father. We are invited into the three-person dance. This is what we are doing here today. And it's humbling. Who am I? I love Peter when, when, when the great catch of fish, and he sees Jesus, and he sees the fish, and he goes, Depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. I mean, I shouldn't be here. And it's almost like Jesus answers, Peter, you're just the kind of guy I can work with. <laughs> from now on, you'll be catching men. One of my favorite parts of our service is, we do not presume to come to this thy table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in thy manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under thy table. But thou art the same Lord whose property is always to have mercy. Yes. I know. I know I'm not worthy. That's why I'm bowing the knee. Bowing the head. I'm humbling myself before you. Secondly, notice, worship is active. Worship is an active verb. We worship God. You are not here today, my beloved brothers and sisters, for your worship experience. You may get that. Praise God. That's not why you're here. You're not here for what you get out of this. You are here for what you offer. Uh, someone came out, I couldn't believe the chutzpah. But uh, someone came out of a, uh, the church I worked in and first worked in in Connecticut and said to the rector, who was a big, impressive guy, said, I didn't get much out of that today. To which Wiss said, oh, that's not why you're here. What? You're here to glorify God. If you do, you may get something out of it. But if you're here for you, nah, that's not why we're here. Worship is active. It is something we offer. It is something we do. Third, it's physical, like I told the kids. We bend the knee. We stand. We sit. We sing. We, there's a story of a, a, a Scottish Presbyterian who would, kept the Sabbath holy. He always kept the Sabbath holy, but he was in London for business. And he went into town, told his first mate, watch the ship, and he rode into London and went to an Anglican church. And he came back, and his, his first mate asked him, what was the service like? Oh, it was no bad. He goes, I just threw out my good Calvinist anchor, and I went up and down with the waves. 
up and down and just sit. No, now we stand and now we kneel. Now we, your whole body gets into the act. Malachi, just shortly after this, speaks of the time, the messianic age, when all the earth will worship the Lord and pure incense will be offered in his name. By the way, there's incense in heaven too. Read Revelation. So wait a minute. So our, our noses get into the act? And in a few moments, the Lord will give his, us himself in this sacrament. We will receive by faith and we will taste and see that the Lord is good. I told someone recently about a shut-in uh, that was in our parish in Pennsylvania. Uh, wonderful guy, but had had a tough life. Very dysfunctional background, very rugged, had been through a period of drugs himself, and then he'd gotten hepatitis, and then he'd gotten, and just a whole bunch of things. So there was depression, there was illness, and whatever. And the combination of these things was so bad that Rick could not remember the end of a sentence by the time he'd gotten to it. If he were reading, he forgot, what did the first part of the sentence say? If you were speaking to him, what did, wait a minute, wait, what was that you said at first? It was very hard on him. He said it was just so hard. But week after week, when we brought him communion, he said, I could taste and see that the Lord is good. There was that. We need that. God didn't make us disembodied spirits. And we are meant to worship him. To worship him humbly, actively, physically in the beauty of holiness. The Hebrew word for beauty, hadarah here, is um, feminine. And it speaks of the adornment. The, it's related to a verb which you adorn something, you beautify it, you make it lovely out of respect for it. You know, you decorate something, right? So we do that with our houses. We do that for holidays. We decorate. We, we make them beautiful out of respect for the holiday or respect for the occasion or respect for whoever it is that's coming. We, it's, that's what the idea is. We're beautifying. We're adorning. That's the beauty that's talked about here, that adornment. And it refers, beloved, to, among other things, and a number of the commentators point this out, the physical accoutrements and stuff of worship, the decorations of the tabernacle, the beauty of the, of the weaving, the beauty of the carving, the beauty of the setting. You make it beautiful. And it just, I mean, read, those of you who have read in uh, Exodus, when God gives instructions on how you're to make the tabernacle. Wow. And there's all that gold and that silver and acacia wood and all kinds of stuff that's just physical and beautiful. Not least of which the priest's vestments. And uh, the New American Standard and um, the RSV Second Catholic Edition and several others, point, the number of commentators point out that, and these translations, and the NASB is very word for word, point out that the, um, it could be translated and uh, it is by some, 
Worship the Lord, not in the beauty of holiness, but in holy attire, in holy dress, in holy array is another trend. And that refers to, among other things, the priest's vestments. And by the way, again, when we see the worship in heaven in Revelation, what do we see? Same thing, vestments, gold, <laughs> just all kinds of stuff. And the church self-consciously imitated on earth what was going on in heaven. But notice here, in this, this little bit, what does the Lord say? Worship the Lord in holy array. He's not speaking just to the priests. He's not just speaking to the Levites. He's not even just speaking to Israel. The command is to all the nations. Tremble before him, all the nations. Worship him in holy array. Yeah, even you Gentiles. Where do you think we get the idea of, oh, I'm putting on my Sunday best? Yeah. Getting dressed up. I heard an English preacher, a Pentecostal guy, who wore a tie and a jacket to his church he was speaking at, and they said, said to him, oh, you don't need to stand, you don't need to do, we don't stand on formality here, you don't need to do that for us. And he said, I'm not doing it for you. I'm here to meet with the king today, I thought I'd put my best. Uh, having preached now in East Africa and in Central America and stuff, boy, they, we're meeting with the king. And my only shoes, maybe, I saw this in Honduras. This lady's only shoes were those plastic, remember the jellies? The, yeah, yeah. Those are the only shoes she had, but by gum, she was wearing them to church. Because I'm here to honor the king and the beauty of holiness. But as we read the larger psalm, there's something else the beauty of holiness includes. Not only the beauty of the setting and the, the, the beauty of how we adorn it, but Music. Make a joyful sound. I'm so glad you said that. Make a joyful sound. Sing a new song to the Lord. We, we sing. God's people have always sung. That's what we do. You realize that actually in today, America, one significant socioeconomic group, interest group, whatever you want to call it, gets together Still, to sing. Used to be everybody. But one group still does. It's the church. We still get together to sing. To make music. To praise God. To declare his glories. That's what it says. We gather, when we worship in the beauty of holiness, there'll be beauty to it, and there'll be music. There'll be praise. There will be joy in the proceedings. Yeah, Beekner says, if there isn't an element of joy and foolishness in your worship, your time might be better spent elsewhere. Uh, I hadn't realized how foolish our worship might work until Mimi, who was still struggling through, uh, do I believe this or not, said, you know, if it's not true, you guys look really silly up there. Right? If it's not true, why am, I <laughs> why am I dressed like this? There's an element of folly in it. The world doesn't get it. Why? Why? An element of joy and foolishness in it. There ought to be. 
But the very next line, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Kadosh. Holiness. Set-apartness. Sacredness. What's the next line? And let the whole earth tremble before him. There's an element of joy, and there ought to be an element of reverence, of awe, of fear and trembling in our worship as well. May I suggest to you that the youth pastor on a unicycle does not fit with what the psalm is calling us to. I can't take it lightly. A friend of mine told me of a church Easter Sunday, very liberal Episcopalian church where they're processing out and people in the choir put on bunny ears. And I was like, lightning. It's good. <laughs> you know, I, he, they, they did that? And he goes, yeah, it was terrible. It's terrible. No, 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 no. No. We are meeting with the king. We will act accordingly. How can you have joy and fear and trembling together? Ask a groom on his wedding day. <laughs> Best day of his life. And for a lot of us, fear and trembling. Whew, this is big. This is huge. This is, it's both. It's joy and fear and trembling. Coronation of a king. Joy, fear and trembling. Awe and reverence. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It means the fear of God. One of the best translations I've heard of what that means, it's just I heard this past week. The fear of God is taking God as seriously as he deserves. I like that. Taking God and everything to do with him seriously. Well, I'm going to take him seriously. Heard a little boy who visited a church and his first time in church, he went to Sunday school and he liked it. Park Street Church up in uh, Boston. He really liked it. And, uh, and my friend asked him, so what'd you learn? Six years old, what'd you learn? Oh, you don't mess with God. <laughs> Not bad. <laughs> Not bad. He got it. Nah, you don't mess with God. Thus let us offer, says Hebrews. Well, that's the Old Testament. What about the New? Thus let us offer worship which is acceptable to God. Hebrews 12, 28, 29 with reverence and with awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Both elements have to be there, the joy and the seriousness. And beloved, they can and do coexist. Our job is to work at that, to bow the knee before God, to realize what a privilege it is that we are here, what an honor. To worship him in the beauty of holiness and with fear and trembling to stand before him. He wants us here. He's made it so that we can be here. Let's not take that lightly. 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.